0: Hey, y'all. Welcome to Geeking Out, the podcast about all geeky aspects of software delivery, DevOps, observability, reliability, and everything in between. I'm your host, Adriana Villela, coming to you from Toronto, Canada. And geeking out with me today is my good friend, Robert Golabek. Welcome, Rob.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Nice to be here.
0: Yay! Super nice to have you on. And full disclosure, Rob and I have known each other for a really, really long time. Like since what, two thousand and I want to say two thousand and five. Yeah, it's it's right. been a while. <laughs> We've known each other for a really long time in a past life, in our past lives as Java developers, <laughs> which is really awesome. Um, so, uh, Rob, for uh, for starters, where are you calling from?
1: I am from the deep, you know, West Toronto, Etobicoke.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yay, uh, yay, for Canadians. Yeah,
1: so people don't know. Etobicoke is, you know, uh, a borough of Toronto. So some people call it Toronto, some people don't. So, you know, hey, for some people I heard it's really far. For me, you know, it's actually the perfect balance, you know, 20 minutes from Toronto. But yeah, get some kind of space. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm from.
0: Cool. Awesome. Awesome. All right, so we're going to start with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready?
1: Oh, Promise wow. it won't
0: hurt. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, number one, are you a lefty or a righty?
1: Righty and happy Lefty Day. I saw that post. So, yes, your superpower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a right handed superpower. Wow. I was going to respond to the post of my right hand, right? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I always forget to acknowledge left-handed day. And then this year I'm like, I am going to schedule this post so I don't forget. And then when it popped up the next day, like on Monday when I was back at the office, I'm like, oh, lefty day passed. Oh, I remember to do a post on
1: that. So uh, the reason yeah. it's close to me is my dad is left-handed, right? And awesome. for some weird reason, it was weird when he was growing up to be left-handed. So, you know, um, they tried to even make him right with the right hand. It was kind of, you know, so yeah, it's dear to me, right? So yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. Yeah, my mom too, she was left-handed and she was subjected to people trying to make her right with her right hand. And she was yeah. one of those like non-functioning, like with her right hand lefties, like she, everything with the left hand. So she's like, no, <laughs> I, I, can, I can manage with some right-handed stuff, but lefty and proud. <laughs> All right, next question, <laughs> um, iPhone or Android?
1: Android.
0: All right, Mac, Linux, or Windows for uh, for development? Windows. Awesome. Um, favorite programming language?
1: Uh, the one I know, I got to say Java.
0: All right. <laughs> um, dev or Ops?
1: Ooh, DevOps.
0: Ooh, yeah, I've gotten a few of those answers before. <laughs> it's very PC. <laughs> DevOps. All right, um, JSON or YAML? Ooh.
1: Uh, Depends on the situation.
0: All right. Fair All right, enough. So, yeah. Fair enough. All right. And then final question: Do you prefer to consume content through video or text? Text. All right. Yeah. the The text people are winning so far. Most most people are like, text. <laughs> I'm
1: right there with you. The video. I watch it on mute. Um, I like the Do writing. Subtitles. Subtitles. Yeah. Like uh, I don't okay. know. I'm not a video person. So kind of my age, I guess. You so. know.
0: Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, like my my daughter Hannah, she's like video, no question about it. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, maybe it is an age thing. I I don't mind. I'll watch video with with subtitles, or I will like just put on the audio and walk around the house. Yeah, <laughs> have it on on like YouTube video on my phone, and walk around the house with with just the audio, and like that I can consume. But I can't just like sit there and watch a video for like, especially for tech stuff. <laughs>
1: Yeah, my, uh, my attention span is like really like short. I want to kind of go to the end of the video and I just want to read it very quickly because I like mm-hmm. usually skim through it and then I read the most interesting part in the video. It's like, okay, where's the, where's the, where's the climax? You know, like yeah, yeah, where's you yeah. can't really find it. So
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. So I, I totally feel you. All right. So now, now that we're warmed up, let's let's, let's geek out on some stuff. Um, so I guess first things first. So um, why don't you share with everyone, like what you do, cause you've come, I guess, a long way uh, from like, you know, our, our early days and in, in our earlier careers of, of like being the lowly Java devs.
1: <laughs> so maybe start from the beginning, you know, um, yeah. 96, 97, 95, I don't know, you know, um, just kind of coding and, uh, at that point, was involved with like wires and illegal streaming. Uh, got me interested, and kind I of made some money. Um, from there, you know, very quickly went to Sheridan in 2000. Uh, within a year, kind of graduated, and then got my first job at SickKids Hospital as a reports developer. That turned into the Java developer. That kind of turned to architecture. It was pretty cool. That's and awesome. after that, that's when I went to Medavante, or. Is that the right name? I don't know. I think uh, couple- I, don't,
0: I don't know what they're called anymore because it was like when I joined, it was called GHR, and then Medavante ate them up, and then I don't know what happened after that.
1: Yeah, so uh, I don't know. And in between that, I was kind of in the Canadian Army Reserves too, so kind of got some discipline there. Um, oh. so yeah, it's kind of put me straight as an arrow, got me kind of healthy, and got some you know uh, responsibility skills. Um, that was from like 99, while I was at Sick Kids. Um, and then in like between like 99 and 2010, while I was still working, I had a side business. So funny story is my, in my first resume that I submitted to, I had like a quote where I want to have a worldwide business where I kind of want to dominate and kind of, you know, provide value to people. And, you know, when I gave the resume to the sickest people, they laugh. Right. Cause you know, and I'm like, was that naive or was that, you know, <laughs> aspiration, you know, to kind of something greater. Uh, yeah. so. That's kind of, you know, the entrepreneurship was always there looking backwards, you know, maybe a little naive, but, you know, ins- kind of inspiring to something greater was, you know, kind of my goal. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of my beginnings of trying to take over the world, thinking in the brain. Um, and, <laughs> um, yeah, so 2006, that's kind of where I met you and met Avante, worked there for three years, went to click Care. Um I don't know. I think everybody kind of knows here in Canada, point of the care, You know, one of the kind of um, unicorns in, in healthcare. So I was there for six months. Um, sad story is, you know, um, <laughs> I joined. Somebody got a, you know, uh, the bonus for referring me it was my brother, um, who's kind of with the company as me. And then six months later, I left. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> right when he got his bonus on that, right?
1: So they changed the rule after me after me. I think they even called it the rubber rule that you know uh, <laughs> referral's to be, you know, you gotta work there a little bit longer. I didn't do it on purpose. It was just kinda, you know, um that's kinda when I started my business after point click care. Um yeah. you know, um got my first contract kinda, you know, kinda working and actually was with Sick too, uh developing their platform. Uh and that's kinda where my journey started. Um and we're here today. And what we do is, you know, right now we matured and kinda through the innovation that we do and, you know, putting engineering before sales, which I don't always advise because if you have passion for engineering and you want to do everything right, it might hurt sales. So, um, but but we're proud of that. We run the business our way. So uh, because of that, we always kind of innovate, not always the benefit of kind of sales, but uh, it got us to the journey of kind of, you know, early adaptation of Docker, Kubernetes, Cloud Native. Always early adapters and now we're cloud native experts you know specializing in app modernization uh trying to kind of build for the cloud um and the beauty of cloud native and app modernization which i love is it's ever changing right so before i was moving yeah. to the cloud was legacy software now it's kind of you know the hot take is you know how do you add ai to the you know software that already kind of are out there right so and you know in a few years it's gonna be something else so really love what I do, uh, kind of, you know, giving the, uh, you know, cloud-native expertise and kind of sharing, uh, you know, my wisdom with people. Um, and through that, sorry, like, uh, I started executive, executive Espresso Series where I started kind of like, you know what, I love kind of talking to people. So started posting information, uh, just kind of, you know, sharing on cloud-native expertise and kind of in the different aspects, Kubernetes, you know, observability. Um, one thing that's challenging which I tell you, and it hurts me, is to be cloud-native expert, uh, I keep you know, reminding myself how big the space is. I'm like, you know, DevOps, yeah, those are yeah. really, you know, platform engineering and, you know, uh, Cloud Foundations. Like, it's really, you know, it takes a lot of learning and knowing and, like, talking to people like you and different spaces. So I find that really challenging, but I enjoy that because, like, in my DNA, it's kind of learning. So combining all those things is pretty, pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, you know, it's it, you touched on on something really important, which is like the cloud native space is ginormous and technology is ginormous and there's like a new thing out all the time. So then like you can't stay on top of everything. So how do you pick like what you focus on as a result of that? <clears throat>
1: So uh, we can bring up, you know, maybe uh, you know, when you're doing the edits, you can bring up the, you know, the landscape of uh, the cloud native landscape. And I don't know how many tools they have now, maybe 200, 300, for you know, oh a God. lot. <laughs> uh, so what we focus on is open experienced experience technologies that we use. Uh, so kind of we call it our tech stock kind of powered by open source software, and we chose some tools, right? That's uh, the starting point. Um, now. When we go to clients and kind of try to kind of give our opinions, it's based on that. Now, yeah. um, it's also being open to other tools. But when you choose a tool, let's let it be mature. Uh, you know, uh, let it be kind of used by people. Let it be a supporting community. Uh, we did a mistake before in the past where we were too early of an adapter, and you pay the price. Mm, like yeah, I, think, yeah. I think we did it with Angular too. Like we did way too fast. It was like, you know, when Angular kind of went through versions of like, you know, one to two, to three, like it was Angular one, then it was two, then it jumped all the way to five. It was too early. I wish we waited a little bit and kind of, you know, kind of used it maybe a little bit later. Uh, and same with these tools. So kind of we broke it down into different tools, you know, for security, it's Falco, you know, console, vault, key clock, kind of maybe Hershey Corp uh, kind of world. Um, and then, you know, for, for kind of cluster resources, Postgres, Redis, OpenSearch, Kafka. So you can see it's like main kind of tools that we kind of use. And observability, yeah. uh, you know, Prometheus stack, the Kubernetes Prometheus stack, Sentry, uh, Yager, Loki, kind of, you know, um, making sure that we center around those tools and then making sure that adding principal infrastructure as code kind of on top of that and kind of you know, on top of Google, that's kind of how we choose, chose the tools. Um, and that's like the starting point, right? Um, yeah. You can see for observability, I think it's a very similar stack as Logs.io uses or anybody kind of, uh, you know, those seem to be the main kind of, uh, you know, open source tools that are out there. Um, and there's a lot of support for them. So that's kind of the biggest kind of asset of selecting them, and they're really good, right? Uh, so, yeah, that's yeah. kind of how we use them. Um, and But the biggest thing is, uh, you know, through clients and, like, through conversations, you always learn about the new tools. So best way is to throw your tools out there, and then tell you some, you know, uh, with the conference we went to, I think it was from you. You, you threw on tool, um, and I forget the name of it um, that I never knew about. And I was like, okay, you know, that's a pretty also platform engineering, I think, or I can't remember which tool it was, but you were using your presentation. Oh to yeah, Cratics. Um,
0: uh,
1: Cratics, right? So. Yeah. 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 Right. So we never knew that tool before uh, because I never came across it, right? So yeah, yeah. But then uh, you use that and then it kind of opens up and then I can query you and like, hey, how do you use it? Where's the support? So learning from the community and kind of expanding it and then making a selection. Hey, is the tool that we want to use or not? Do We want to our, add it to our stack, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that's pretty cool. And that's kind of, you know, uh, we, I, I'll finish with this. That's kind of where the, you know, the new thing of platform engineering is. I think you know, um, how can we best, to your question, select the best tools uh, that, you know, maybe, you know, if I was going to propose to you, but also uh, switch the game, what are you comfortable with and building yeah. around that most important part? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, that's so true. It's so important because there's nothing worse. And, you know, I've, I've been in the consultancy space before and there's nothing worse than coming in and saying your stuff sucks. And then you're just gonna hurt their feelings. It's like basically saying you have an ugly baby. Um, and no one wants to hear that they have an ugly baby. It's you gotta like be gentle and, yeah. and, and like understand like what are you comfortable with? What are you using? Hey, would you be open to like switching over to this? If you're familiar with this, maybe this might be the thing for you. And I think that's very important, is especially in consultancy because you're you're essentially trying to help companies do things better but there can be a lot of resistance to change um so you have to be very gentle with them
1: yeah and um you know we you know i don't, I don't know if i'm an engineer anymore i'm ex-engineer i love engineering you know but i spend more time you know doing non-engineering stuff but there's one thing right uh, that i always notice with engineers you know and myself too you know not excluding myself there's that ego right you know i yeah. select um, I know the tools better, you know. Prove me wrong while using this tool, and I don't like taking that conversation there. I rather be like, hey, you know, like if this tool is great, you know, let's let's use it, let's improve it, let's you know, let's build what you know what you guys need, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, engineers are smart people. Oh, there's a lot. I don't yeah. want to say that engineers, but like you know, they're usually intellectually smart, so they know what they're talking about, and you got to come with a game too, you know, to say that you know what you're talking about. So that's kind of you know where the conversation goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's it's definitely a fine line. And I think one of the things in engineering that, and and I think an engineering is an art form really. And I think that goes to say for any, any type of art form is that sometimes like we tend to fall in love with our code, with our technology, with the things that we create, but the best thing that we can do for our art is to like, give it some sort of a seed so that it can grow whether it's like hey that sparks another idea where someone's like hey you know what you could do this a little bit better i like where you started but i think this is how it can be improved and being able to like let go of your initial notions and be open minded to like other ideas other ways of improving it i i mean honestly i think that's what open source is all about and i think that's what makes also for very successful organizations and very successful teams that you have to check your ego at the door. It's hard though, because sometimes you know, you're know you working on a thing and it's like, it's your baby. <laughs> uh, you've put a lot of TLC into it only to have someone say, well, I found a better way of doing it. And it pretty much like scraps all the stuff that you did. <laughs> uh, so that, that can hurt, but also recognizing that maybe your initial work, even though it's being discarded, inspired somebody to come up with a better way of doing things.
1: Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you, what do you what do you think is the best way of uh, you know judging that, right? Like how does how do you best put it out there? You kinda answer it, like it's open source, right? Kind of let the community play with it. Um any other kind of ways you would kind of try it out? Kind of let kind of people give you opinions in a you know non-hateful control.
0: <laughs> yeah, fashion? yeah. I mean just like generally like just having conversations, I think, um it I think it all comes back to community, whether it's like putting it out there through open source Or like writing about it in a blog post or having a conversation with somebody, um, like finding finding ways to make those those connections, um, I think is probably the best way. But you can't do that without it being out there in some form or another, I think.
1: Yeah, like, uh, you know, I really like kind of in my recent time writing. Right. So got me thinking and expressing and talking to people. Right. Um, And then. The biggest thing is taking that feedback in a positive way. You know, like yeah. first, you know, reactions like, oh man, why did he say it that way? But then it's like, <laughs> why did he say it that way? You know, maybe, yeah, you know, yeah. explore that a little bit more, right? Um, and it's got to, you know, and then you meet the person and then you have a different kind of perspective. Uh, and then it, became, it can change or you don't have to change. The biggest yeah. thing is you have to agree with them either, right? Like,
0: uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I, I think the most important thing is that. Someone offering an opinion forces you to take a step back and rethink it. And it, it's like what you said. I'll either agree or, hey, you know, there, there's something to that statement. Maybe I'll tweak it or take some of that into consideration. Or like, no, no, I actually think my way is the better way. I've given it some thought, and that's perfectly all right.
1: Yeah, and, then, and you might have, uh, you know, uh, different motives too, right? Like, uh, it could yeah. be business case, could be technology, could be... Uh, different case. Um, uh, just recently, we had somebody come in and like they had an objective of looking from a this kind of zoom was monetary zoom, and it's like um, that's one way of looking at it, right? Um, and because it's a business, you know, client, uh, they're going to push it in that way. Now, yeah. uh, as an engineer, the most frustrating part is uh, um, is letting you know let go of your best practices and then. Because, you know, most of the times client is right. (laughs) Quotes. Uh, You you know, you you try to kind of, you know, make them happy, but uh, you got to really put your ego away, Um, you know, and also put away, I told you so, because I believe in even in in that scenario, um, business person could be right because now they're coming from their perspective and they might have limits. So, uh, you know, that's kind of you know. So you gotta look at it from that angle, you ego from technology, from business, and kind of you know move the you know, conversation forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I think at the end of the day is you just have to be open minded. Yeah. So, so um fun. you know of, of all the technologies that you've been working with um what what's the one that's like really exciting you right now?
1: I love uh, you know uh, conversational AI. Oh, yeah? I, oh, um, so, and applying it to any domain. Uh, we're just working, actually, uh, with Pat, uh, working on conversational kubot, uh, where you can talk to it in human language. And get oh, a nice.
0: Is that something you guys are developing?
1: Yeah, we're developing it. When I want to release it. Uh, it's kind of, you know, uh, started as a kind of small project because uh, we have, uh, we're in you know, a grander schemes working on enterprise search and we call it the conversational enterprise search.
0: Yeah.
1: And we call it like next on knowledge, knowledge base economy where knowledge is king. And, you know, how can you take that knowledge and how can you converse with it, right? On a basic, basic basic level, right? And yeah. applying it in Kubot, you know, the, hey, get all the resources, you know, all the material from kind of Kubot and, and, and then, you know, uh, suck it in. Use kind of, you know, uh, NLU, NLP, NLG, kind of all the kind of, you know, uh, natural language processing, you know, human language kind of processing. So you can, you're able to, Uh, create something where it's your human assistant, right? So, uh, you know, my my goal is, like, I never want to remember a Kubernetes command. And with this, we already have a prototype where where it's like, hey, you know, uh, tell me the status of the system and let's see all the pods or something, right? Or be like... Oh,
0: my God, that's so cool. I cannot tell you, like, how many times, like, if I'm away from Kubernetes for a while, I have to, like, Google this stuff. Or, like, now I have a GitHub repo where I just have, like, a readme with all of my Go to Kubernetes commands because I forget that stuff, especially the gnarly ones. Like, how do you like freaking you know go through your logs in Kubernetes, or or like how do you log into uh, to your pod, like <laughs> in, into your container in your pod? Like,
1: eh. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I have a I have a folder uh, with documents and it's for like Kubernetes, you know, Docker. This this this, and I'm like you know get lost in those and then that it's like searching through those dot you know commands. So, so we're applying this, you know, um, enterprise search and conversational search to you know, Kubernetes and, and and observability, and you know, trying to kind of ties into AI ops. Uh, so, I, I, I'm 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 in awe and you know how powerful you know large uh, language models are uh, and applied in the right case. Um,
0: yeah.
1: How pop- Like, I'm going to write a blog. You know, uh, it's something to do. It. I kind of have a draft format where. Take it from a different angle, right? How, yeah. you know, how these AI tools can help the world, right? Uh, I see yeah. boom and doom kind of, you know, hey, they're going to break this, break that. It's going to take cover control. Yes, everything, right? You know, we have the biggest case of nuclear power, you know, it's used for good, it's for bad, um, you know, it's our human choice to use it for the good, right? And I'm an yeah, I'm, totally. I'm optimist. So, like, I love it because it can apply so many, you know, I like guess we just combine, like, the few elements, you know, AI, you know, search and, and observability and Kubernetes and boom, you know, that, that's something we're working on. So that yeah. goes back to engineering uh, and, and, and yeah. you know, working cool stuff. So that's, it's pretty, uh, so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what I really enjoy.
0: That is super cool. Yeah. It, it, it's funny because I, I think AI has definitely become a hot topic because it's come up more than once in, in this podcast. Um, <laughs> I think like, and, and I, you know, like, I, I think my first dabbling into AI was like using Dolly for uh, for generating like images for my uh, for my presentations. That was kind of my my first one where I'm like, oh my god, this is the coolest thing! I can tell it to pr- like to generate pictures of llamas doing funny things. What? <laughs> or my favorite, I I have like this love for Capybaras now because Instagram one day decided to like serve me pictures and videos of capybaras, and i'm like oh my god this is such a glorious animal so now you know dolly has generated me a bunch of like images of these things for for like my presentations as well so I'll, i'm like Shit, that is some really rad stuff and and then like further leveraging chat gpt for like even certain things where you find yourself in a position where i need to reword this thing my brain is fried chat gpt just take the sentence that i wrote and like Make it a little bit shorter because I don't have the brain power to like try to think of five different ways of saying this word and conveying this thing, right?
1: So you're you're touching something pretty cool, right? So um it, it takes you to the next level. And you know how some people say it actually does it for you? It doesn't because it doesn't I, I smell like you know when a marketing person talks about technology thing and it kind of doesn't make sense. And then when a techie will use the same kind of, and they will just rephrase it, there's a difference. So it's yeah, such a
0: hard,
1: yeah, yeah, I, mean, I love it. It's yeah, so it's it's been changing. Like, uh, yeah, so we applied it kind of all over the place. So, so and then, you know, again, combining AI observability, DevOps, like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be
0: mind blowing, it's gonna be mind blowing. And I, I think people forget that like, it's not like AI, as you said, AI is not going to do all the work for you. You still need the the human touch to guide it in the direction. And then you still have to vet it because sometimes AI spits out some dumb ass shit and you're like, no, <laughs> I do not want this. <laughs> and then you just rephrase the question. Like, I, you know, at first when I heard the, the term prompt engineer, I'm like, ha, 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 that's so hokey. But like, we've been prompt engineers for a while now, if you think about it in software, because... That is essentially what we do when we do a Google search, right? Especially when we're trying to solve a gnarly ass problem and, you know, you you Google, you enter a particular search term and then you're like refining, refining, refining until you're like, oh, you know what? That's not even the right question that I have to ask. But now I've got enough information that I know the right question to ask. And that's essentially what a prompt engineer does. It's just <laughs> now the, the floodgates have opened in, in terms of what it provides you, right? It's more than just those Google search results. It's more contextual information.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, um, I agree with you 100%. So I don't know what prompt engineering was that I was doing prompt engineering, right? Before it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Because I was doing what you said. Like, it was kind of like that. Engineering brains like okay, I'm gonna do it this way. I want to ask it that way. Oh, it's pretty cool. And then you start learning from it. And then yeah, you were engineering a prompt, right? You know, as a, you know, as us, you know, CEO, write me, uh, you know, the kind of an email to buy. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, on this promotion.
0: Make it sound beautiful. <laughs> um, another thing that I want to ask is like, you know, we we both. Came about in technology before there was such a thing as like cloud, Kubernetes. Like you know, we were we we are children of the monolithic era yeah. <laughs> of Java enterprise servers, which are, are no longer. <laughs> I don't know if I miss it or if I'm glad that that stuff's gone. <laughs> um, how how did you um, like? What, what was like your foray into, into Kubernetes? Like what, what led you in that path?
1: So I was, um, doing consulting in Montreal. This, uh, whenever Docker 1.1 came out, um, uh-huh. and was lucky enough that the company was kind of looking and really uh, trying to find solutions around dockers. Um, and. You know, we use was, was Docker Compose, um, and it was kind of you know Docker Compose is kind of you know limiting solution. Um, and from there, um, just bringing the Docker world, we kind of started working with it. We had a few implementation of Docker Compose for clients, and then Kubernetes came. Right, uh, early yeah. adap- adapters kind of jumped on that because. Uh, there was a limitation of, uh, you know, um, controlling and, and deploying uh, Dockers without us kind of orchestration platform. Uh, so we kind of start building for Google and Kubernetes um, and creating our own kind of platform to, uh, with the CLI uh, on how to deploy ordering. So we were kind of early kind of working on it and, and the tools that we have right now, but we're in, yeah. we're in so we kind of build them ourselves. Uh, so that was kinda, that's how we jumped on it. So it was through a client and then just v- thinking that it's really cool how you can kind of abstract, like, you know, to an OS level, virtualize a little kind of, you know, component. It was just kind of groundbreaking, right? It was kind of like, you know, like even though Linux had it before, putting it in kind of element where, you know, hey, uh, you know, I was uh, using Eclipse and then uh, instead of deploying uh, MySQL on my Windows box at the time, uh, we deployed it in Kubernetes, which, you, which you, and sorry, uh, in Docker, which you can kind of, you know, start and turn on and off. It wasn't some kind of yeah. heavy Windows or Mac installation. That kind of, it was just bring it up, the Docker's there, and connect to it. And I was like, man, that's pretty cool, right? And then, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, man, like I don't know, as an engineer, it was kind of groundbreaking. Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> like, I know, totally agree.
1: Like tech porn. I'm like, it's like oh my, like, oh my
0: God! Like what? Are
1: you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then um, not a lot of people were working on it, but we, we had some solutions and then Kubernetes was the next kind of level, you know, um, yeah, Kubernetes is complex, right? Um, it's not easy, yeah. um, you know, I wouldn't say for everybody to use it, there's a good case for it. Uh, but, you know, like those benefits that it brought were pretty cool in terms of kind of working with containers and providing the networking and the deploying. So kind of building around that was, you know, that's kind of our first foray to it and it just continued until now.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that's uh, such a really good point on like, the containerization is the gateway drug, right, to, to Kubernetes. Yeah. I mean, it really is like, you know, Docker in itself was like awesome. And then you're like, oh shit, now I've got to manage these Docker containers in tandem and figure out all this like stuff the networking and stuff between them and then docker compose kind of helps you with that and you're like okay that's better and then you realize i need a little more um oh kubernetes is like the next natural evolution of it where you're like oh my god this makes things so much easier but then at the same time it's like my life is hell. <laughs> it's like you can't win, right? Like it solves a problem, but then it brings on additional complexity because it is such a complex tool, but so cool.
1: Yeah. Somebody, you know, I, I keep following kind of some questions, you know, when to use Kubernetes and people are against it and that, you know, big projects, small projects. I, you know, I have a simple answer. The community of tools is so big right now, You're, you you got to use it because, you know, everybody's kind of working towards one goal. And that's the beauty of it, right? Uh, yes, it's complex. Yes, it's hard. Uh, yes, you gotta have. You know, that's what we try to make it easier. Yes, you gotta remember that. The, you know, manage Kubernetes is a little bit easier, but dealing with that overall, it brings co- complexities. But having every single tool, like cloud native tool, you go into a landscape. Every single tool is deployable on uh, on Kubernetes, right? Or, yeah, or that's cool. so having that power, you know, you know, and building from infrastructure as code and kind of Helm chart and then combining it all together the power is there that's kind of what i think is you know the biggest benefit um so yeah like use it and, and use it smartly you know if somebody asks you when to use it or if it's good or bad man that's a wrong question it's it's, you know it's yeah. you find a problem and you know um there's solutions for it and, and you know if you want to build a wordpress site you know uh build it on uh, wordpress.org or something right like if uh, or if you want to deploy, you know, WordPress and Kubernetes, de- deploy in Kubernetes. What is your need? What is your yeah. problem? So, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I totally agree, and that it, it's funny because I was having a similar discussion with with folks today, where um, I was uh, chatting about Kubernetes and Nomad and how you know, like, it, there's no a lot of people talk about it in terms of a versus thing, but it's like, what is your use case, like? When I worked at Two Cows, it was a nomad shop, and it made sense because they hosted, like, they had their own data centers, um, which meant that, like, when they tried to um, start up their own Kubernetes clusters in their own data center, that's like you are creating your clusters from scratch, you know, uh, which is a horrible, horrible experience. Um, versus if they had, if they were using public cloud and have access to like managed Kubernetes, maybe that would have change the conversation, but at the time, you know, using data centers, well, between running Nomad in a data center versus running Kubernetes in a data center, it's a lot easier to manage a Nomad cluster compared to a Kubernetes cluster. But then also, I guess some some organizations might not need the additional complexity that you get with Kubernetes, and so they might choose Nomad or or whatever other product, like, because uh, there, there's like, for example, VMware Tanzu, right? Don't yeah, they... And- uh,
1: yeah, they
0: are a competitor yeah. as well in the space. I, I've not played with it. I've just heard of them, and that—that that is the extent of, of my knowledge. But it, it's interesting to, to know that there are other competitors in the space that you know solve the problem, but in a different manner, and maybe that suits your use case better.
1: Yeah. Um, so when we were working um, like a few years ago, I felt it was nightmare to have Kubernetes on-premises or data center, to your point, right? Sure. No yeah, matter yeah. The tools were not baked in. Now it's easier. Uh, but that leads me to a question for you. Uh, what do you think of, you know, I, I, <laughs> I read some articles that, you know, uh, were kind of, you know, I guess, uh, headline grabbers, cloud is dead, people are going back on-premises or data centers. How, mm-hmm. do you feel, where, how do you feel, you know, where the world's gonna go, like, you know, having a crystal ball, you know, you know, cloud versus maybe people going back to their own, you know, data centers or hybrid, like any ideas there?
0: I I think it's gonna be a hybrid thing. Cause I, I here's here's my take on cloud. Like I think cloud abstracts a lot of the complexity that you would have for managing your own data center. And I think to a certain extent you can even you can even manage the complexity of running your own data center through tools like OpenStack. And I think Azure has a thing called Azure stack. And I'm sure like the other cloud providers have their own thing as well. So you're basically having like the same nice little infrastructures code convenience in your data center rather than hosting in, in, in public cloud. Now, All I right. think a lot of people treat it like there's this me- mega rush to public cloud, I think because a, it was easy and B, there was a lot of hype and so And and then people forgot to look at the cost (laughs) Um, where they're like, oh, this stuff is limitless. No, until you get your first cloud bill and you're like, shit, (laughs) that was a massive cloud bill. Did I actually need all that stuff? But in terms of like leaving it to somebody else to manage your infrastructure, awesome, but you have to be super, super mindful of your costs. Whereas when you're running your own data center, you are so mindful of your costs because you are keeping an eye on that budget, like a hawk, right? It's like, no, I do not have extra rack space. Oh, I have to like, I I ran into an issue when I worked at Bank of Montreal where we were setting up a new, a new, um, like physical, we had to buy new physical server. There was no rack space. They had to like find, (laughs) they had to buy a rack. They, and because there was no rack space, they had to like lay in the electrical work to be able to rack up that server. Like there was all this stuff that you take for granted when you're when you're running in in public cloud. So
1: yeah, um, I think it's going to be both. Um, I'm just a you know, proponent that it's really hard for a data centers, specifically the smaller ones, replicate the security. Right? How do you do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have these billion dollar clouds and their day in, day out as they go to an office and they think how to make it better, how to make it better. Uh, and over there, you know, yes, you can now there's great tools from a lot of clouds to have infrastructure kind of as code, um, infrastructures, cloud foundations for your data center. But that investment continuous investment into securing it. That's what worries me. Right. Um, yeah. But maybe like to your point, I'm hearing horror stories with, um, managed, you know, services and cloud and, uh, cloud bills, um, that it might be more efficient, you know, more kind of, you know, cost uh, efficient to have a, that data center, right? Because the cloud costs are so, like, you know, so huge, right? Like, so um, I think we're kind of still in the early stages, but uh, I think it's going to be hybrid. I just don't know, like, how people will solve that issue of having a secure data center. So is, is it going to be your own data center stack? And so maybe, like, you know, Bank of Montreal's kind of or the big banks, you know, or, or Canadian tires might have their own. Uh, yeah. Because they have. Money for it right and then you might have data centers that are kind of from the old age where they host stuff for you and you just have your rack in there yeah they, yeah so um but i i you know we might solve the cost savings issue but if we don't we're going to see you know some bigger blowback but i just don't see yet how other companies can replicate that in heavy investment those those big three are doing into that security uh you know or whatever security, or the you know future tools, or that's kind of where the word's going to be. So I'm going to see where it's going to go.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, it, it'll be interesting. And and it you know in the same way that you're you know kind of keeping an eye on on the whole data center situation, on prem or cloud. Um, I think we'll see a similar movement with like the monolith versus the microservice. Because again, a lot of organizations rushed into the microservices model thinking this is going to solve my problems and then now they're like rethinking it um which is rather interesting um which i'm not surprised by because again it's like a lot of hype and a lot of people just did like very knee-jerk reactions rather than is this actually going to do the thing that it's supposed to do for me right so
1: i i think it's (laughs) somewhere in between Uh, (laughs) as long as you work towards the Scalability and elastic nature of the cloud, build it for that, right? So, microservices are good for that if built well because you can isolate the problem, right? If you're going to have a monolith, make sure you can do the same thing, right? Make sure you can scale. Like, yeah, yeah. The biggest thing about monolith was it couldn't scale and you have your, like your 30 different features in one set, and then what, right? So. There's room for both, and it's an architectural pattern they want to use. So, and I agree. Like you know, it's but it's the same answer. You know, like it's just the Kubernetes answers. It's the same kind of answers when I see kind of you know, hey, you know, I go to Reddit and I I'm Kubernetes and I'm here and I'm there and it's the same thing. Oh, I would never use the you know monolith. I'm like, oh, man, that's not the right answer, man. Like yeah, yeah. You more a little bit cr- critical of what you're trying to say. Why why you fail with your problem? It's not like you know, brushstroke for everything is the same. So I there's room for both. So um, got a question for you. Yeah. Can I ask? Okay. Observability. Um, okay. What do you think of um, same thing with the cost? Cause you know, you're in the space. Uh, and yep. I think we had a conversation on it before. Manage, you know, versus kind of, you know, in your stock. Like, cause you know, just an example, data dogs and all that stuff. Like, the same thing, like you were, you know, uh, you start slowly and then there's a boom, a bill, right? Is that bill justifiable? Yeah. Right? Millions of dollars. Where do you yeah, stand yeah, in yeah. the observability world, and what do you think about open source, or in your kind of, you know, open source, you know, inside your Kubernetes or kind of powered by open source versus kind of the fully managed solutions and the benefits kind of of that? Like, where 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 do you stand with that?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to put on my not a I work for an observability company hat, but my I was in the position of like managing the observability team hat. And from that perspective. So when I worked at two cows, um, I came in to manage uh, two teams, a platform team and an observability team and the observability team at the time their function was basically managing tools and not focusing on practices but we were also using a SaaS vendor so manage like internally managed tools plus SaaS vendor i'm like you know what like you're already you've already got the contract with the SaaS vendor let's use that as the standard let's ditch the internal tools so then we can focus on practices and focus then on making sure that people are doing observability properly and making sure that we standardize on open telemetry, because this was like the early days of open telemetry. So like traces weren't even general availability. Now we're at the point where like traces are general availability, metrics are general availability. And I think logs are stable, but depending on the language, it's like the, the specification is stable, but not, not it's on a per language basis, like where, where things are, but long story short, like Open telemetry has evolved a lot and for me it was more important coming into that team making sure that the organization was doing observability properly rather than focusing on on maintaining tools because if you're so focused on maintaining tools then what's to say that you're actually doing observability properly so we wanted to set out a set of best practices across the org now we did run into cost overruns with the vendor that we were using but the nice thing about using open telemetry is it gave us this opportunity to like you know, um, making so because my my focus was let's make sure that the organization instruments everything in open telemetry, and they were not like they were using vendor um vendor SDKs at the time. But my goal was like let's inform people on making sure that they adopt open telemetry, so that if you're stuck with a vendor uh, like that way you're not stuck with a vendor that's going to cost you a gajillion dollars, right? Now you have that flexibility of going to another SaaS vendor or you know what, now you have the flexibility too. if you want to go the self hosted um, model, you have that kind of flexibility. But yeah, you you definitely have, I, I feel like when you're evaluating vendor, you have to know what, what you're getting in bed with. Because like, as soon as with that particular vendor, we started moving away from their SDKs and started using open telemetry, the cost shot up because they supported open telemetry. But like, they treated the open telemetry stuff as like extra. I don't know, extra like nodes or whatever, uh, extra containers or some. I forget what it was, but our cost shot up. It was it was shockingly, horrifyingly expensive as a as a result. So I think you need to know you, you need to understand the cost model up front. Unfortunately, a lot of vendors have very complex costing um, models, which right. Then that makes it a little bit tricky, but yeah. So
1: now to open elementary question. So when you when you said that, um, if you design it properly, do you think you can very easily exchange the tools because your best practices are kind of built on open Telemetry? And then you can kind of go from tool to tool. Is that what kind of what you mean by best practices? You know, when when you were yeah,
0: it's it's not just so best practices mean because the idea of observability is your system is emitting enough information so that right. even without knowing like the inner workings of the system, you have enough information so you can tell what's what's happening, right? So yeah, you can use open telemetry, but like if your system's not emitting the right stuff, then right. So what, right? <laughs> um, and it's a combination of like emitting the right stuff and also making sure that the vendor is representing the information. So then when you instrument using Open Telemetry, the thing that differentiates the vendors is how they render that information. Is this going to be useful to you? So it's a combination of making sure that the, the code is instrumented properly and, and also is this thing showing up in a way that's useful to you so that you can troubleshoot, right? So that, that I think becomes, becomes the trick.
1: Yeah, that's kind of yeah. So that that's good, right? It's kind of like when we're concentrating with kind of our stack, but uh, the, you know, the journey is not understood, right? So, and I feel um, some vendors are overselling the promise um, because the tool will not solve everything, and you can just get into a really bad practice of um, you know paying a lot because you're going to be searching for what to collect and you know, just scraping everything possible. So that that best practice we're talking about and then emitting the data, collecting data, that's a very important piece. Uh, So back to the other question, you know, um, where do you feel, so, okay, so we have the practices and kind of, you know, open telemetry and kind of, you know, instrumenting the code. Uh, Where do you find then after that's done, you know the SaaS model vendors you know and i, I don't want to pick on datadog you know there's you know there's a few others of them that are there <laughs> like uh where do you feel they fit into that you know once you have that set up you know the yeah. internal platform versus you know um uh, external SaaS model
0: um in terms of what specifically
1: for, for observability so like you know comparing you know having stack in your kubernetes versus maybe yeah. you know, um, connecting to again uh, logs i just say right because they're they're kind of uh, API base and kind of instrumenting kind of thing. Where do you think? Is, is, do you have an approach or preference towards one, or or you think you know it depends on the situational and. Company? I think
0: at the end of the day, it just depends on on your situation. Um, my my ideal, like when I started my observability journey, like my my dream was to have like a tool that took care of all the things. So right. you know, in, in in my ideal world, you could. Do away with Prometheus because you you can emit those Prometheus style metrics and then just ingest them into whatever system and you'll have a place that displays your metrics, your logs, and your traces and they're all correlated nicely. Um, I don't think that any one vendor does that well right now, and and it's interesting too. Like for example, in Open Telemetry, there's a way right now to correlate your traces and your logs, which is in which is currently being implemented. There's a way to correlate your traces to your metrics. It's called a trace exemplar. But when you look under the covers, so a lot of people talk about trace exemplars, you look under the covers, it's not been implemented for a lot of languages. I think the only one that's actually been implemented for is Java. Um, so so then you'll see actually a lot mm-hmm. of vendors that will do that correlation in the tool itself and not use OpenTelemetry for it, which is quite interesting. So there's still there's still some work to be done um it'll it'll be it'll be interesting to see where where things go
1: that's an interesting problem that that that, that i feel we always face can uh because there's so wide to, to kind of adapt to so many different languages and tools and stuff and open it up and making sure can one company be doing everything well it goes back to kind of you know uh can apple do everything well can microsoft do everything well you know like uh, at what point can you invest in everything, right? So that's going to be interesting yeah. to see. Um, I know there's some, uh, I, I, in, when I was uh, talking to somebody at a conference, um, what's going to happen eventually is people are going to be really buying out each other, right? We're going to reach that level where... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, where they're going to be eating up and then, uh, you know, hey, these guys are doing good. This, uh, this level of observability, observability, combine it together. And then, uh, you know, let's uh, see if that works. Uh, I think uh, so. Uh, I spoke to you about it as well, kind of because, uh, you know, uh, where, where you are. So that's going to happen. That's good and bad because uh, that will kind of go to your point where maybe somebody's going to be able to create that, that kind of one tool uh, yeah. by waiting to see if there's going to be enough appetite and investment to make those different parts of the tool well structured. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, you know, this whole observability is just so, so, so crazy, so vast. Um, you can spend just like, you know, just, you know, and you can, you can spend a world and, you know, all your time reading about it and you still can kind of, you know, tackle the fraction of it. Right. So it's, it's probably- Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. I know I, I do this for a living and I'm like, I've barely scratched the surface. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. We are just coming up on time. So for parting words, do you have any like awesome advice that you want to share with
1: our lovely audience? Uh, man. Uh, go slow. Uh, talk to experts. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you do things try them right the first time but don't be afraid to fail and iterate right so it's kind of you know challenging aspect there um but yeah you know maybe for people that are starting out you know uh touch technology uh, uh it's here with us um for ai embrace it don't hate it uh it's here with us yes. you know there's ways of things figuring it out um as long as we have a po- you know uh positive, Uh, outlook for what we want to do we're humans are very smart we're going to solve it so that's kind of the approach I take to all these different things that are coming out Uh, maybe because we're techies we enjoy it more because we see the potential of it and I see huge potential and just where the world's going uh, you know in a very good way very positive you know positive way so yeah
0: totally that that's awesome those are great words of wisdom well thanks so much rob for geeking out with me today y'all don't forget to subscribe and be sure to check the show notes for additional resources and to connect with us and our guests on social media until next time
1: peace out and geek out
0: geeking out is hosted and produced by me adriana Videla. i also compose and perform the theme music on my trusty clarinet Geeking Out is also produced by my daughter, Hannah Maxwell, who incidentally designed all of the cool graphics. Be sure to follow us on all the socials by going to bento.me geekingout.